Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. Hey, a couple things real quick. First of all, I want to thank G. Graydon Jones for preaching a couple weeks ago. Did a great job, finished up the Roman series. I also want to thank uh, Lindy Pinkston. I don't know if she's in the... Nice. Smack. Yeah, well, she's from there, so I mean, she's, so she can go back. I hope she's having a blast. But she preached last week. Anybody encouraged about thankfulness after that word last week? Man, that was super encouraging to me. I found myself deeply under conviction a number of times. Kim and I would stop in the middle of something that was tense, tense or whatever, and we'd go, 10 thank yous. And you have to stop and do 10 thank yous. And it just, it's hard to get through 10 without just lifting up just a little bit. The, the nose of the plane starts kind of coming back up as you do that. So th- th- that's great. Also, I've got a big announcement today uh, that uh, we are going on January 20th, we are going to three services. And uh, you can kind of look around and, and see, and first service basically look like this as well. So, uh, you know, we're at about a, you know, 100, 120% capacity a lot, a number of times this fall. And so that, get ready for this. That third service is coming at 8.15 a.m. <laughs> How many of those cheering people are going to be there? <laughs> but, uh, so here's the deal. Everybody's like, oh, what time do you do the third service at and all that? And we just felt like these two services that we've got going right now, the times are so strong and so balanced that 9.30 and 11, that we want to keep those so that we can continue to do trainings and, and lunches and all that kind of stuff that we do afterwards. And, and so we're doing that first one. And that, that one, can eat, it's still going to be a full service. But it's going to be a little bit shorter, but uh, it's going to have child care and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but we're doing that one there so that like in spring break or summer, we can pull that one out if we need to and keep these without changing anything here. Less change is good. So we're keeping those the same and then doing that other one there. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else I needed to say. Uh, just excited. Uh, you know, we came, we moved down here 16 years ago, moved from Grapevine with a bunch of us. We sold our homes, came down here as missionaries to Fort Worth because we wanted to impact people and make a difference and re- make disciples. And a lot, those things are happening. And so people are coming to the Lord and in college is just wonderful stuff. Go frogs. Just all kinds of stuff happening. God's moving young adults and, and all this. You know, it's just, it's just great. So uh, just excited about that. Wanted to pass that along. And before I open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, and then I want to just tell you real quickly about Kim. She is hurting right now. She's at home. We had an accident yesterday in Austin on the street. Uh, she was riding a scooter and uh, trying to be a young, hip mom who loved her kids. And we were all down there together and hit a big bump. And uh, man, she, y'all, it just I, it happened right in front of me. And it could have been really bad. I mean, she just missed a, a curb. And, but anyway, her teeth. She'll have oral surgery on Wednesday. And um, just it's, I just I cried my eyes out in anguish yesterday seeing her hurt. And uh, I'm glad. I just, so we're thankful. So we did ten thankfuls last night, you know. And and uh, in the midst of all, I mean, she could have been killed. And so I'm thankful to the Lord that uh, 
that it's oral surgery we're doing, and she's going to get better. And but y'all pray for her, and going to pick up some Campbells or something on the way home. You know, that's more. She's like, would be upset with me. Listen to this message, probably. <clears throat> you didn't say Campbells, did you? Yeah, sorry. Love you, honey. So uh, here we go, Matthew chapter one, and we're looking at the genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Okay, we're going to skip down through all the kings, some good guys, some sordid guys there, down through the exile after the return, and then down to verse 16. And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. It goes on to talk about how what was in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had, uh, excuse me, yeah, what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we're starting a new series called God of Promise. And this is Advent. Advent is the time of year when we celebrate Jesus Christ coming into the world and we're in this in-between time where we're looking forward to Jesus Christ coming again. So He's come and He's coming. And it's a wonderful time because we realize in, in talking about the incarnation, and I didn't, when I was a kid, I grew up in a church that didn't really make a big deal out of, the, out of Advent. And I think it's important that we do that to connect with the church calendar, but also to connect with the incarnation. There's just something powerful about connecting with the incarnation of Jesus Christ that, that touches our humanity. It touches, it, it makes God not just be like up there, but God becomes flesh, takes on our humanity. And it's just all, there's so many in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years where we've really been focusing more on Advent. Uh, you know, I've preached messages where people go, whoa, wait a minute, wow, that's blowing my mind because Jesus Christ actually came in the flesh. And it does blow our mind when we really think through that stuff. And, it, and, and part of it is because life is so messy. Everybody is coming in here today and everybody's been through some stuff this past week. And we got pain. We've got stress. You can just kind of do your hand like that. We got problems. Got some fi finance stuff that happened. Uh, got some stuff going on at work. Some relational difficulties got all these different things that happen as a course, just a part of being human. It is our condition that we go through stuff and we, anybody, don't raise your hand on this one, anybody just like make some bad choices this week? Yeah, <laughs> somebody did. <laughs> I actually did. I made several, you know, even that deal yesterday, we were all just looping. What are the 92 things we could have done different, you know, that would have, it's like, it's a ditch. Help us, Lord. Gosh. Um, so, so all these pro, you know, in Advent, what that means is God steps into the mess. God steps into the stuff and God steps into the, 
the genealogy. I mean, this, there's some crazy things that are happening we're going to look at. And so this message, this series is for everyone who's going through some stuff in their life that needs Jesus to break in. Let's see, that's four. So we just came out of a series in Romans a couple weeks ago. We were talking about how God, Paul just is hammering this thing, bringing these people groups together, Jews and Gentiles together. And he's saying God is faithful to his covenant promise. God is faithful to his covenant promise. Even when we're faithless, God is faithful to his covenant promise. And it's just massively good news. Focusing in on that again, even in this Advent series, that God is a God of promise. And, you know, it's interesting. I think about Paul, and he was persecuting the church, and he was going to arrest Christians, going to, to Damascus, and his whole life changed in one day. Think about it. He was, he was zealous for his Jewish traditions and all that stuff. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He kept the righteous law flawlessly. I mean, the dude just, see y'all. I mean, he, like, he was doing the whole deal and he sees the resurrected Jesus Christ and everything changes. His whole life changed because he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. And part of the reason that's so important is as people take shots at the Bible and, and if I can just pull down this one piece of the Bible, then, then it pulls down our faith. That is not the basis of our faith. Our faith is based on the historical fact, an event that Jesus Christ predicted his death and on the third day was raised from the dead by the power of God. This is our faith. They didn't have a Bible and they were proclaiming Jesus Christ raised from the dead. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. And this is, this is us. Here we are. I mean, love the Bible, but that's what this Bible is pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Him. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And it's what puts into perspective everything I'm talking about. Paul and the other Christians, they begin wrestling with this. They begin wrestling with the history of Judaism, the Jews, and the promises of God in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Everything changed. Game changer when this happens. So the Gospel writers then begin doing the same. They begin wrestling with the story. Mark writes the first Gospel. He gets it all down. And for the first time, really in history, like suddenly there's this radical shift because of who Jesus is, what he did, what he said, the way he lived. And one of those things had to do with women. Come on, ladies. Had to do with, had to do with women. And he had a different perspective about women. And he let them be close to him and in, in the ministry and support and all these kinds of things. And it was a, it was kind of an upside down from the cultural tradition of the time. He had a different perspective about how women should be treated, the dignity and honor that they should be given in a, in a, a pressed down, you know, dishonoring kind of way. Kim and I just got back from Dubai a couple, a couple weeks ago. We were there for the Antioch team leaders deal. There's 38 churches in the U.S., but there's like 80 or 90 over there, you know, so we went over there to that part of the world. But it was like stepping back in time. I mean, there's some things that are really great about Dubai. But it's like stepping back in time in this gender messed up kind of deal. We were on trains riding the metro around town and there's, a, there's cars for the women and children. And they had a pink line, you know, down the middle. And I mean, early on, I was just, I'd stand there. She'd be on the other side on the women's car and I'd reach across. 
just kind of violating the whole deal. Just touch her. Just breaking the rules, you know. It was just crazy. And, and, and so I'm starting to notice the way uh, the, the, the guys are looking at her. You know, and I guess she's like exotic, you know, skin color and eyes and all that. But I mean, it's like it was wrong. And I'm not just talking about like sexually. I mean, it was a, it was an oppressive, disgusted kind of deal. And I'd say, just stand behind me. Not, not in a dishonoring way for her, but to protect her. Like it, it just, and I could see in a new way. She was like, I'm glad to get out. It was oppressive to me as a woman. And, and so I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, God did something crazy in starting the church where He flipped this whole thing where there's, there's not supposed to be Jew or Greek. Look at the colors, the, 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 the nationalities that are in this room, the backgrounds, the, the, the gender thing. No, no more Jew or Greek. Slave or free. Economic stuff. Male or female. Just, just huge. And so Matthew writes his genealogy in a male-dominated culture and he starts sticking women in there. Come on. And he could have put more in there. He'd left some out. You know, I mean, obviously Abraham was married to Sarah, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and she's got some cool stuff in her story, right? Some, you know, the, the love stuff was kind of messed up there. It was all part of the deal. But she was, she was a fighter. Rachel was married to Jacob. She was married to Jacob. Jacob kind of had some issues, right? He did. And, he, and, and her father was Laban. And Laban had some issues. And, and, and her sister was Leah. And Leah had some issues. So those, you, you look at these families and it's like dysfunctional with a big capital D, you know? And, and we could, there's stuff for us to learn as we think about, you know, what's going on in these families. Uh, I've been laughing you know, uh, this past this past week we we were in discipleship school, and I, I was thinking there was four women, and so we had four weeks of Advent, and we were going to do four women. It was really cool, but there's actually five women, and so we're going to do two of them today. Just kind of quick. That's funnier to me for some reason. I are <laughs> like, yeah, you should know that. So anyway, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. So here's all these promises. These covenant promises that God is faithful to. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is called the Proto-Euangelion, which is, means before the Gospel, is, it's, a, it's a prophecy from God in the garden. The, the fall happens and He speaks a curse to the snake. And He says there in Genesis 3.15, flash that up, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike His heel. So it's like you're gonna you're gonna kill him for a little bit, but he's gonna he's gonna crush your head, and that is the first prediction of the cross and what Jesus Christ does to Satan, the enemy of our souls through the cross. He's the he destroys him. He, he that's the reason he came was to destroy the devil's work. And then the next part of the genealogy there is he's uh, is is uh, Abraham. So Genesis 12, flash those Scriptures up. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, leave your people, your father's household, that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you 
And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's, that's powerful. So you've got covenant promises about Jesus, about Abraham, and about David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, here's the Davidic promise that there's going to be a son of David on the throne forever. Can we just say forever together? Forever. Amen. He is the one. This is Nathan. God speaking through Nathan the prophet to David. He is the one who will build a house for my name, your son. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father and he will be my son. Skip down to verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And we know Isaiah 9, this is a popular uh, passage at this time of year, says that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Think about it. It's going to go get bigger and bigger forever and ever. And that's part of how we look at the way we live our lives, expecting the government and the peace of God through Jesus Christ to grow and grow and grow. Let your kingdom grow. Let your kingdom come. Let your peace come. Let us be peace people on the earth. And so in the midst of this uh, wonderful story, this genealogy, are a number of women. And Tamar, I highlighted them in my Bible. You can do that in verse 3. Then Rahab in verse 5. Ruth, we're going to talk about next week in verse 5 as well. You know, uh, D- uh, David takes Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And then finally down to verse 16, Mary. And so all of those fascinating stories of God's work through these women, and yet there's all kinds of brokenness all kinds of sexual innuendo in and around these stories, and yet God works through it all and brings about the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ in the flesh. So here's the main thing. During this Advent season, we remember that God comes into the story of our lives, our messy lives, and keeps the promise of redemption. Two points. Life is messy, but the promise is redemption. And... um, you know, I wrote those points down on Friday, and I didn't know it was going to get even more messy on yesterday. And, and God is good. You know, we sang the songs, just came unhinged in both services that you're good. You're good. You're never going to let me down. He's good. Life is messy. Life is like, there's a, re- why do we like reality TV? Maybe we don't, but. But there's something that appeals to people about it because it's like it's a picture of what life is like. We get to see into life and kind of live vicariously a little bit through the messy lives of others. And maybe we compare our lives and think, oh, my life's not as messy as that life, right? But it looks one way when we're kids and then a messier version when we grow up. When I was a kid, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, I was living in Houston. And one of the things I would do is go to the bio. And that's what that's ten year old kids did. We all met down there, fourth graders, hung out, you know, catch crawdads. That was a big deal. Crawdads, you gotta be quick. Say do that. I need a filter, and she's not here this morning. She's like, don't do that. Yeah. And uh, we'd catch catch crawdads. 
One day, and you know, I can remember, lived on Burling Hall, and I would, when the floods would come, you could swim on the street in front of our house, you know, literally dive off, and it was flooded all, it floods all the time. Big floods, Houston. Anybody from Houston? Been a, yeah, just part of life as a kid, swimming on the street in front of your house. And, uh, but one time after a flood, I went down to the bio, and I came back with a dead uh, black water moccasin. You know, just something kids, 10-year-olds, they think that's cool. And I had kind of conquered or something. I came back with this dead moccasin, put it out on the driveway. It's in the sun there. And uh, go in to tell mom, hey, mom, I got a, got a water moccasin. You know, hunter-gatherer, killer kind of guy or whatever. Come back out and the snake is, is moving, slithers off into the... It's totally alive. Slithers off into the grass. Now, so you got certain 10-year-old consequences for bringing the snake home. You bump it up, go to high school, you bring the snake home. Now I'm going metaphorically, right? Just trek with me. You bring a snake home, there's different kinds of consequences, right? You can get into trouble. College, you bring the snake home and you can get into, you can get into some mess. Get into bad relationships, all kinds of stuff. Young adults, any young adults, you know what I'm talking about? You bring the snake home. It's just, and that's, that's the way life is. It's messy. We, we, you might look at the genealogy and go, well, they had it all together, but I want to tell you, no, they didn't. They did not have it all together. So let's talk about Tamar, first of all. Tamar, and it's in Genesis 38. We don't have time. I'm not going to read. I'm just going to tell the story. You can go back and read those stories. It's important that you do. Um, Genesis 38, uh, Judah, one of Jacob's sons, uh, he's got a son named Ur. <laughs> Ur? <laughs> his son's name Ur, and uh, he gives Ur in marriage to Tamar. Tamar's dad gave her in marriage to Ur, and uh, but but uh, God wasn't pleased with Ur, and Ur ends up dying. And so the custom was in the ancient Near East that, that the next son then becomes the husband of the, the 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 older son, dead son's wife, and you produce a son in the name of the older older son. We don't do that. Uh, somebody in first service said, glory to God. <laughs> that's, it's just, that's complicated, right? I mean, that's just, and it was. And so the second son, his name was Onan. And Onan, just read the story. I'll just read the story. And uh, it's just awkward. One of the most awkward family moments we ever had at the table. Emily was four. I hadn't read ahead. We read the Bible, you know, and hadn't read ahead on what what happened. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the details, but it just it's very explicit. I, in fact, I was talking with the guys this week. I was like, "What do you think this this was a movie? This sermon was a movie? Would it be like PG?" And they're like, eh. "PG 13, eh. R." Eh. NC-17, uh, would we, you know, I'd be like, ah, don't go see the Tamar movie. I think I'd probably say, you know, it's just pretty graphic. And so, so Onan dies as well. So two sons have died. And Judah goes, I've got a third son. He's not of age yet. His name's Shelah, or we're going to call him Shelah, although it's spelled Shelah, just for the sake of the story. And his name's Shelah. And he's not of age, but he's going, man, if I give Shelah to Tamar, he's going to die too. I don't want that to happen. I don't want to lose all my sons. So he sends Tamar away and says, go live with your father. 
and, and your family there. And when Shelah becomes of age, you can come back. Well, he didn't invite her back. Judah's wife dies, and one day she's, he's going on a trip. Tamar hears about it. She dresses up, covers herself in a veil, in black like she's mourning, sits beside the road like a prostitute. He comes up to her and approaches her and says, hey, can I sleep with you? And she says, yeah. And so she goes and sleeps with him. And he promises her a goat. Sorry, I'm just... This is the story. Just hang with me. And so he promises her a goat. That was, I guess, customary on deals like that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have one. And so, <laughs> Lord, help me. Y'all pray for me. And so uh, he doesn't have one. And so he says, hey, take my staff. So she takes the staff and then, and then she goes away. Well, a few months later, his family, so the word gets back, hey, Tamar is pregnant. What are we going to do about this? And he says, she's guilty. She needs to be judged. She needs to be burned alive. Wow, that's intense, right? And so she sends back word and says, I'm pregnant by the one who gave me this staff. Takes the staff back, mic drop moment. He says, she's more righteous than I am. And so they end up having children. The, the Zara and Perez are their children. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, it's not a light story. It's kind of, in fact, 400 years later when the law is written in Leviticus 20, what that act, father-in-law and daughter-in-law, is condemned to death. So it's really, really serious deal. But God moves in the middle, in the midst, and in spite of all the stuff that's happening there, to still, that's the bloodline for Jesus Christ. Roll the clock forward 400 years. And Rahab is, again, a prostitute in, in, uh, in Jericho. And the Israelites have come out of Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years and are about to come into the promised land. And Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. They end up at the prostitute's house named Rahab. She harbors them for a bit and then says, I know that God is with you guys. Our whole people are quaking in fear because of you and that you're coming in and you're going to be successful. And so I'm with you. Just tell me what to do. And so she hides them from the leaders of the city, lets them out the, out of her the window, which is on the wall of the city, lets them out. They climb down. They go and hide in the hills. And eventually the Israelites come back. She ties the red scar scarf thing in her window and her family is delivered. Now, and again, this is a, this is a violent, bloody, you know, macabre scene, the taking of Jericho. And yet, the, the point here is that in the middle of all of this stuff happening, this prostitute and all of her family are redeemed out of this doomed people and brought into salvation and liberty and life. And it's like a type of all of us that find ourselves in the midst of a doomed people and God through Jesus Christ pulls us out of the doomed people in order to rescue us, redeem us, and make things right. That's what's going on. They're in these stories. And both of these women, they're bold, they're strong, they're leaders, and they make a way for their families. All of them. You know, just right, one right after another, right after another. We're going to look at Ruth next week. I mean, just a quick commercial. Moabite, she was a Moabite. And Moabites were condemned past the 10th generation. There's not to be a, that person, not that, that race isn't to be included in the, the assembly of Israel 
past the 10th generation. That's a story of redemption. You know, and we'll talk more about that next week. But these, the, the stories, uh, they're, they're complicated. They're messy. And, and yet, the, number two, the promise is redemption. So here's where I want to go with this. In spite of the mess, in spite of the stuff, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of our circumstances, God comes. That's what God does. He comes into the middle of the mess. And the good news is that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Not good news that He steps into our humanity and He, he takes it on fully so that He can redeem it fully. Does that make sense? So unless He takes it all fully, a lot of times people think about Jesus so far up and kind of mystical that we forget that the, this Advent time is the reminder that He became fully human so that He could fully redeem our mess. It's good. That's what the church fathers saw. It's powerful. And it's like, you know, uh, Graydon and I were talking this week, and it's like you, you've seen a movie or a story where something happens at the end of the movie and then it like changes everything that's happened all leading up to that. And you almost like want to hit start over and watch the movie again in light of what you saw at the end. Christopher Nolan, Interstellar. Oh my goodness. Inter- you know, so, so I go, Emily was in first service sitting right there where Chase is at. And, uh, so, and so, uh, Hutch, sorry. <laughs> I'm in the same family, y'all. Sorry. Sorry, Hutch. I looked at her, he's like, eh. uh, but Emily was sitting there and we went and saw that movie and it's kind of sci-fi, you know, but it's, it's father daughter love over the top. And I mean, we just, you know, just cried watching that. But, but if you watch, you see the end. And so that's kind of what happens with us with Jesus. It's like Jesus comes and then he, he, it's like you re-understand the story of Tamar in light of Jesus coming. And you re-understand the story of Rahab in light of Jesus coming. And you re-understand your own past and brokenness and mistakes in light of Jesus coming. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy what God has done. All that junk. I mean, how far back do you have to go to, for a bad decision? A day, two days, a week. Some of you guys have been nailing it. It's like a month or something, month and a half. But you go back in there far enough and, and you've blown it. And Jesus comes and redeems. And not just does He redeem the past, He redeems where we're going. Because not only has He come, but He's coming again. And because He's coming again, we live our whole lives in light of what's coming. That Jesus is coming. That He's coming to make things right between heaven and earth. And there's not going to be a separation anymore. And we live in light of this truth. And it, it affects... Like, I don't want it... I don't want to sin because I don't want to live out of line with where things are actually going. I want to inaugurate that future in my life right now. I want it to be realized now. Lord, let that kingdom come in my life. Does that make sense? It's really important that we talk about the end times and the way things are going to be. And I'm not just talking about the thousand years before Jesus, everybody gets like focused out of their minds on that, but I mean, like you got the coming age after that. And so we want to live in light of the coming age that's broken into this reality right now in the coming of Jesus. 
and it's going to be fulfilled in His coming again. I feel like it's just really uh, good news. And it changes everything. It changes how we see our messy lives. How we understand the future. And it's... Uh, I kind of... Movie... I, Years ago, I mentioned the Lord of the Rings when it just first came out, and I got blasted on that. Just about the, you know, Jamie Miller wants these orcs, and these are scary. I just so I said I wouldn't talk about movies, and here I am talking about movies. But uh, but I've been inspired by this one guy, and you can figure out what movie it is. But his name's Neo, <laughs> and he's in this car, and he wants to get out. And it's interesting that Trinity is the one who's asking him the question. But she says, you know, Neo, you've been down that road before. Is that what you want to do? And I just want to ask everybody, like in light of the past and the brokenness and the mistakes and the mess, you've been down that road before. I've been down that road before and I don't want to go down that road anymore. I want to, I want to go with Jesus. I want, to, I want my life to be redeemed and made whole. And I'm on a journey. I'm not there but I calibrate every time I turn to the Lord. We do together. Every time we turn to the Lord, we're calibrating our hearts and our lives to Him. And it's just the best way to live. Everyone needs to hear that God is redeeming our lives in Jesus Christ. God loves you so much. And I was sitting there, I I'd cried 15, I don't know, 20. I'm not trying not to exaggerate, but separate times where I just lost it. And on this one time yesterday evening, uh, uh, right in the middle of this, Jimmy called. He'd heard uh, down in Waco what, what was going on. And, and I was like, man, brother, I'm just, I'm undone right now. And I just, my, I was aching. My eyes hurt with love for Kim. And my heart was aching. Like, like there was, I was hurting in my heart with love. I love, I love her so much. Like just I, I love her so like I love her more than my life. And in the middle of that, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Jamie, I love you infinitely more. And it was like a, it was just another revelation of God's love. And I want to say to everybody here, He loves you infinitely more than you know. And like, ah, oh, but I feel condemned, or I feel there is judgment. There is judgment. But forgiveness is proclaimed over your judgment. Like if, I, if James and I were in a fight and I came and said, hey, James, hey, just want you to know, buddy, I forgive you. Well, that's also kind of communicating that he did something wrong, isn't it? That makes sense? Yeah. And God has come to us in Jesus Christ and said, I forgive you. And we're guilty and we need forgiveness. We're broken and we need healing. We need wholeness. That's what God does for us and for you and for the world in Jesus Christ. And it's the best news ever. It's the best news forever. Amen. Y'all stand up. Okay, so let's, let's respond to the Lord. What's the Lord saying to you this morning as we're just talking about the genealogy, talking about God's faithfulness to His promises? We'll take just a few minutes here to respond, but... If the Lord's speaking something to you in all this, then, then respond. I mean, get somebody to pray with. We're going to have prayer team guys up here at the front. And we do this at the end of every service. And I just want to give you the opportunity in the moment 
to respond to God. Just, it's wild. If we'll just respond, it's like something goes down deeper in our hearts. It's like when we're worshiping and we feel like the Lord's going, just go ahead and kneel. And just, if you, if you kneel, it's like, yes, I'm responding to you. And if it's something right now, like I want to know Jesus, you can start that journey right now today. Put your faith in Him. Put your hope in Him. If it's a calibration thing, you know, God works in the middle of the mess. And here's, here's the thing. Whatever the mess is, we've talked about some pretty messy messes, right, today. And God works through all of that stuff and makes things right. So come to Him. Come running to Him. Get prayer. If the front fills up, then get prayer from somebody you came with. Just say, hey, pray for me in the name of Jesus. So Father, meet us today. Lord, whatever the situation is where there's a need, where it's messy, where there needs to be a breakthrough, God, would you just come where we need you, where we need to give our hearts to you, Jesus? Would you align us, calibrate us, make things right in our thinking, hearts, lives, bodies, actions, all that we are? So, Lord, shape us with this vision and give us grace to come running to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Whatever your need is, guys, come. Prayer changes everything, it changes lives and hearts. Come. We love you, Lord. Meet us here today.